Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. And one. Once you get there, um, you'll notice that this song's superscript. It just gives us a tiny little bit of information. Uh, it tells us it's a psalm of David. He was the human that God inspired to write the words of this song to us. Um, from the message of the psalm that we're going to read and study here in just a moment, uh, we can deduce that Psalm 101 has to do with David reigning as king. Specifically, um, this song is about the kind of king that David wants to be, uh, the kind of king that God wants David to be. Um, now, you might not be a king. None, none of us are kings. <laughs> um, but every one of us in here tonight, we are a leader. You might think, well, I'm not a leader. That's not my thing. I don't like to be out in front of people. Um, you're a leader. You're a leader of a household. You're, you're a leader at school or at work. Um, at, at its most basic level, leadership is simply influence on somebody else. Everybody here, you have influence on another person's life. Um, in Psalm 101, David is praying for here, and he's committing to sanctification. That's a big theological word. But it simply means he wants to be like God in his life. And he wants to be like God as he leads God's people. One thing that you should notice as we read and go through this song here in just a moment, every single verse has David saying, I will. Uh, I'm going to use the King James. A couple of them are I shalls. If you've got a modern English version, it's probably all I wills. I will do this or I will not do this. And so sanctification, that aspect of our salvation where God uses his Holy Spirit and uses his word to carve away those things in our life that are not like Jesus and to mold us into the image of Christ, sanctification requires resolve on our part. It requires determination. Just like David here, we have to be willing we have to say, I will do this, or I will not do that. Let's read it. Psalm 101. David says, I will sing of mercy and judgment unto thee, O Lord, will I sing. I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way. And when wilt thou come unto me? I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. A froward heart shall depart from me. I will not know a wicked person. Whoso privily slandereth his neighbor, him will I cut off. Him that hath a high look and a proud heart will not I suffer. But mine eyes shall be upon the faithful of the land that they may dwell with me. He that walketh in a perfect way, he shall serve me. He that worketh deceit shall not dwell within my house. He that telleth lies shall not tarry in my sight. 
I will, I will early destroy all the wicked of the land, that I may cut off all wicked doers from the city of the Lord. Before we study this verse by verse, let's pray. Father, we come to your word tonight in this song that you've given us here uh, from the pen of David, and we're thankful that you love us enough um, that you're going to teach us here uh, how to become more and more like Jesus, uh, essential things that need to be a part of our life if we are going to have uh, a life that reflects um, Jesus Christ. Lord, uh, I pray that we would have a desire for sanctification as, as we've uh, been studying in the Sermon on the Mount on Sunday night and our ladies have been studying their Bible study, that we'd have a hunger and a thirst for righteousness because there's blessing. There's blessing that comes from that. There's reward. It's good for us. It's glorifying to you. Teach us tonight how it is um, that we can have this resolve, this determination to become more and more like Christ. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. So if we're going to be sanctified, if we are going to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, we must realize the necessity of guarding our eyes. That's what David is talking about in the first three verses. Before we get to that specific necessity, um, in, in verse 3, uh, God gives us a standard for sanctification. In verse 1, David starts his I wills here this way. I will sing of mercy and judgment. Unto thee, O Lord, will I sing. So whose mercy and judgment, uh, literally whose love, steadfast love um, and, and justice is David singing about? His own? No, he's singing about God's. Unto thee, O God, will I sing. Well, in order to sing about it, of course, David has to know it, and he does. And sanctification, our sanctification, it needs to start right here. Um, we need an objective, unchanging standard for our sanctification. Uh, if we're going somewhere, it's a pretty good idea to have a destination in mind, Right? Uh, if you want to make a change in your life, you need to know well where you're going, what you want to change into. And I wonder how many times um, do we, even our best intentions to become more and more like Jesus, how often have our resolutions and our commitments been stymied all because we lost sight of the standard of sanctification? How many times do we stop short of what God desires us to be and what God empowers us to be, all because um, we were comparing ourselves, but we were comparing ourselves with others uh, around us. And we had a different standard for sanctification. Rather than starting out with this standard, the standard for sanctification, the character of God, the conduct of God that David's singing about in verse 1. God, his mercy, his steadfast love, uh, his justice. We need to stay with the standard. And then in verse 2, the I wills of David's determination to live out the character and conduct of God begin. David says, I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way. Literally in the Hebrew, it says, I will closely follow a way of uh, holistic integrity. And, and David asks God a question right after that there in verse 2. He says, oh, when wilt thou... Come unto me, O God. Well, God was already with David, but David wants, he wants an increased 
a consistent sense of God's presence. As a king leading God's people, he's going to need that. And David knows that what comes before and after his question here in verse 2, it is essential to him experiencing uh, this intimate presence of God in his life. David ends verse 2 by committing to this, I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. So what comes before and after David's question, uh, what is key to the experience, him experiencing the, the comforting and guiding presence of God, uh, a perfect way that came before that question, and a perfect heart that came after it. Now, of course, not perfect as without sin. Uh, that's impossible for any of us this side of heaven. Uh, perfect in, in the Bible's sense of the word what the Bible always means when it presents that word. Having a heart of integrity, a heart that's undivided, never loving God at, at times, but also loving other things more than God sometimes. A, a perfect way, like it says there in verse 2, I mean, in a perfect lifestyle, that's going to flow from having a perfect heart. And both of those are listed here in verse 2 as conditions for you and I having a sense, having uh, an experience, a real genuine experience of God's intimate presence in our lives. And then verse four, in, in these first four verses, really, David is, he's committing uh, with a resolute determination uh, to sanctification in his private life. And verses five to eight talks more about his public life. But here, he, he says in, in verse two, I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way. I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. Which one do you think is more difficult, private life or public life? Yeah, I mean, um, David living according to God's word and will, it has to be real in his conduct within his own house. And he starts with himself. That's where we should start. He's making sure he is sanctified. He's making sure his home is sanctified. Because there's no point in working on the state of sanctification in your church or in your community or in your nation if you're not taking care of it in your own life. Or in your own home. Uh, that's not, it is. It's the hardest place to walk perfectly. It's usually easier to walk rightly among strangers than in one's own house. But we can be sure that uh, a man is really no better than he is on his own when nobody's watching. Uh, that's really what a perfect way in verse 2 and a perfect heart are all about. He's talking about integrity. Doing what's right even when nobody's watching, when no one's aware. When I was in Bible college, uh, our president, uh, he described it as ironing your shirt sleeves when you wear a suit jacket. That's integrity. Nobody know. Polishing the back of, your, back of your shoes there where the cuff comes down over them. I thought it was a pretty good uh, illustration of what it means to have integrity. And, and after these required foundations for sanctification, we, we need to know the standard, what the standard is. It's God. It's living like God. It's living like Jesus. Uh, and then uh, we need to commit to live in integrity. Now God, as David teaches us about the necessity of guarding our eyes when it comes to sanctification. In verse 3, David says, I will. <laughs> I will commit to. I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. And listen, one, one measure of your level of sanctification, one metric to evaluate your progress in Christ-likeness uh, is what you choose to set before your eyes. There's many wicked things that we can be tempted to set our eyes on. God has the apostle John uh, give 
This is one of the three main categories of sin, right? Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life. 1 John 2.16. And I wonder if David here is echoing the words of the righteous Job. Job said in Job 31.1, I have made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I look on a young woman? Of course, it's not just talking about um, setting those kind of things before your eyes, but other things that aren't worthy to be looking at, especially when you compare them to Christ and what he wants for you. Uh, David regarded here having discipline over his eyes as a primary measure of godliness. And if you're like me, you've probably already been thinking or wishing, well, David, I wish, I wish this commitment was more consistent in your own life, <laughs> right? Because uh, we know when David had an instance of failure in this regard, didn't he? Well, still, we ought not think of David as being hypocritical here just because he failed to live up to this commitment and principle. It's not hypocrisy to have a standard that you cannot always reach all the time. Uh, hypocrisy is when you have one standard for you and another one for everybody else. The Hebrew word here in verse 3 for set, I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. It's very important. The Hebrew word is sheath, and it means to arrange or to bring. David is saying, I commit to not ever bring anything wicked before my eyes. And we ought to make that same commitment. Uh, the great Puritan pastor, one of my favorites, John Owen, he wrote this. He who willfully or even negligently enters into temptation he has no reason in the world to promise himself any assistance from God. He's talking there about God's promise to us in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. I'm sure you're familiar with it. That God will never tempt you above that which you are able, and he'll always provide a way of escape. But that promise is not valid for the individual who willingly seeks out temptation, who brings it before his own eyes, who goes with the intent of looking for sin. And sometimes sin comes your way anyway, even when you don't bring it before your eyes, even when you don't set it before your eyes. I mean, really, that's what happened with David. It did on that housetop. He didn't initially set anything wicked before his eyes, but he did the moment he didn't look away or walk away. Instead of David allowing his eyes to inflame a deadly love for what is evil, he finishes verse 3 here by living. He says, I have a hate for the work of them that turn aside. Notice he says, I hate their work. He doesn't hate them. He hates their work. And he resolved here to not let those eye temptations ever cleave to him. He knew that once you allow them in or once you bring them in, they do cleave. They do cling. They're very hard to get rid of. And it is necessary for our sanctification, it's necessary for our becoming Christ-like to guard our eyes, for you and I to resolve that we never bring anything wicked their way. Now in verse 4, we're told about the necessity of guarding our heart. It says, a froward heart shall depart from me. I will not know a wicked person. And when we fail to see the necessity of guarding our eyes, uh, it won't be long before our heart is impacted. Things that we shouldn't love, um, all of a sudden they became very valuable and maybe even necessary. I don't know how I could ever live without it. And things that we should love, they lose their flavor. They begin to lose their draw in our lives. That's because our eyes will impact our heart. David doesn't want to have a froward heart here. He doesn't want to be influenced by others who have a froward heart. Froward means twisted or crooked, perverse. 
It's a heart that struggles to go God's way because it's always looking toward other things. It's a heart that struggles to stay on the narrow way and enter the straight gate because the eyes are always looking over at the wide, uh, the broad way and the wide gate. David says here to God, I don't want to live like that. <laughs> and God tells us through David's wise son Solomon in Proverbs 4.23, above all else. This is the most important thing you could do. Above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. This world tells us to listen to our heart, doesn't it? Do whatever it tells us to do. God tells us to guard our heart because sometimes our heart can be wrong and sometimes it can lead us wrong if we don't guard it. The heart is a liar. Uh, Jeremiah says, I think it's Jeremiah, deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. Uh, in the King James Version here, in verse 4, it says, I will not know a wicked person. Now, you might notice that it's italicized because that's not in the original Hebrew language. Sometimes they would insert a word uh, to complete a thought because Hebrew sentence structure is very different than our English. And while David is going to address the necessity of guarding our friendships in a moment, I don't think he's moving on to that just yet in verse 4. David is simply saying here, I will not know wickedness. And I'm sure you've heard before what that Hebrew word for know here in verse 4 means. Know is yadah. I will not know. It, this know is intense. It's a, a very deep knowledge. We're, we're talking about a deep level of familiarity. It's used in God's word to describe the, the, the way husbands and wives know each other, spiritually and emotionally and physically. And David says, I don't want that level of knowledge when it comes to wickedness. I don't even want an acquaintance level of knowledge when it comes to sin, God. And so if we are going to become Christ-like, if we're going to partner with the Holy Spirit and God's word in our sanctification, we have to guard our eyes, we have to guard our heart, we also need to realize the necessity of guarding our friends. In verse 5, David moves from his personal and private life more toward his public life, and he knows that whoever that he allows close to him, um, they will have an impact on him guarding his eyes and heart. It, positively, maybe. Negatively, maybe. It says there in verse 5, Whoso privily or privately slanders his neighbor, David says, Him will I cut off. Him that's got a high look and a proud heart, will not I suffer. I won't endure. I'm not going to allow them to be near me. He says cut off here. That is a strong uh, term. It means to remove from being among God's people, literally to destroy. They would be kicked out of God's covenant people. And as a king, David had that God-given right and responsibility, that mission. Uh, he had to lead God's people to purity. He had to protect them from impurity. And there might be people that you need to cut off from being so close that they negatively impact your sanctification. People, like people who slander their neighbor. They don't need to be a part of your life. You think they're going to help you become more and more like Jesus? Do you think that they won't talk about you that way as soon as they leave your presence? Prideful people. How is a prideful person going to help you become more and more like Jesus Christ? And when I say cut off, of course, I'm not talking about what David had the authority and responsibility to do, but God's teaching us here about the necessity of you and I guarding our friends, those that we choose to allow closest to us. I remember reading a sermon transcript from Pastor J.D. Greer, and he emphasized this principle when he said in a message a few years back, 
If you show me who your friends are, I'll show you what your future is. That's true. Please understand, along with verse 4, and we're going to get to verses 7 and 8 in a moment, this doesn't mean that you are to remove all interactions with all sinners. God's not telling you to go join a monastery and flee the world. That's not the idea here. That's not what God's teaching. Uh, in my previous church where I was a deacon, I remember in a deacon's meeting one night, uh, this one deacon was asked to close in prayer, and he often would pray scripture, and um, he prayed uh, he prayed a scripture that was a prayer of Paul in 2 Thessalonians 3, 2. And he said, Lord, I pray that we would be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. I never heard that before. And I thought, well, boy, if I pray that, I won't be able to go to work tomorrow. Uh, that's not what God's talking about here, right? That, that we have no association uh, with sinners. But, but to become Christ-like in order for you and I to be sanctified, sanctified um, there is a necessity of you and I guarding our friendships, making sure we're not negatively influenced. As God's word says, we should never be unequally yoked. God has Paul tell us in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, evil company corrupts good habits. Now, because that's a reliable truth and it's a principle that we need to heed in our sanctification, let's drop down to verses 7 and 8. He says, He that worketh deceit shall not dwell within my house. He that telleth lies shall not tarry, uh, literally uh, endure, stay for a long time in my sight. I will early destroy, meaning like every morning I'm going to take care of this. Uh, consistently, all the wicked out of the land that I may cut off all wicked doers from the city of the Lord. Do you think, uh, based on those verses, that David, a man after God's own heart, do you think that he thinks that guarding friendships is pretty essential? Yeah, that's what he's talking about there. And there's a positive side to this. Back in verse 6, mine eyes shall be upon the faithful of the land, that they may dwell with me. Did you get that? He wouldn't let these type of people, liars, deceivers, high look, proud heart, those who slander their neighbor, they're not going to dwell with me. He doesn't say you wouldn't let them anywhere near him. He says they're not going to dwell. They're not going to tarry. I'm not going to let them be in front of me for a long period of time. And make sure they're not my close friendships. If you're going to be like Jesus, make sure you're doing what he does in verse 6. Make sure you're looking to godly people. Faithful people. Those should be your heroes. Those should be your role models. Those that you allow to, to dwell with you as opposed to allowing the kind of people in verse 7 to dwell. And again, this points to close relationships. David's not saying, I'm not going to ever interact with those who currently don't love the Lord or live for the Lord like I do. I, I'm not, it's not that I'm not going to allow them near my presence. Just that I'm going to guard my friendships by making sure they're they're never in extended proximity to me. When it comes to David, who, who he's going to have in his administration, it says in verse 6, it's going to be people like this. Those that walk in a perfect way. Well, we got that word again, just like it was in verse 2. So those with integrity. God knows who we are. And he knows that we are dust. That we are not perfect. Um, he has delivered us from the power uh, of sin. But until heaven, we won't be delivered from the presence of sin. It's something that we got to battle. Sanctification is not about perfection. And I'm so glad that it's not. That God doesn't desire perfection. 
because I can't live up to it. Neither can you. But do you know what he wants? Progress. That's what sanctification is about. Are you progressing? That's what sanctification, the song of sanctification is about. Becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. Do you desire that? It is not instantaneous. I've said this before here, I think, but I mean, um, we want it to be like I-95. And it's not. It's like a Bladen County logging road, like I have out by me in Wide Oak. I mean, it's uh, narrow, bumpy with ruts. Sometimes you can slip off track. But we're to keep going. That's what Psalm 101 encourages us to do. Keep going by guarding your eyes. And you do that, and the road will smooth out. Keep going by guarding your heart. You do that, and you will value this road because you'll see that the destination's worth all the difficulty. Guard your eyes, guard your heart. Keep going by guarding your friendships. And when you do that, all of a sudden, you'll realize that you're not alone on this road. That there's someone ahead of you who's leading the way, and there's someone behind you that's looking to you, needing your guidance. So will you, uh, will you echo all of David's I wills here in each one of these verses? I mean, will you guard your eyes, guard your heart, guard your friendships, so that day by day, you're conformed to the image of Jesus Christ? That's a good I will. It's good for you. It's a glorifying I will for God. Can I get an I will tonight? You say it. I will. One, two, three. I will. Well, that's good. That's even better than an amen. All right, Daphne and Praise Team, will you come on up and uh, lead us in a couple songs as we close?